Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Voice Wallers Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction went, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. Today, I welcome Ingrid Laguna, a writer and teacher, author of Songbird, a notable book in 2020 with the Children's Book Council of Australia, Sunflower, and today, the book we talk about, Bailey Takes a Stand. Welcome to the podcast, Ingrid, for the very first time. Thank you, Danny. It's really good to be here. I've heard um, so many of your podcasts, and I'm a fan, (laughs) and I always hear you laughing and chatting, and I'm always thinking, I want to be there and join in, and here I am. Oh, I'm so excited. There's always so much giggling on my part. <laughs> I don't know why. Just, you know, what else do you do in lockdown? But what else to... do you do in life? Come on. That's right. That's right. In life too. But sometimes the lockdown makes you a bit delirious, I think. <laughs> I think I've so much less in lockdown. I, I've really noticed it. That really? Yeah, it's really not, I'm not ideal. Yeah, no, it's not ideal. Well, you know, we're yeah. not going out to your restaurants and pubs and stuff, so that's understandable. I think I'm lucky because I've got this outlet so I still feel like I'm connecting with people and different and new people all the time so try and have a bit of a laugh sometimes if you can yeah (laughs) it helps Mm. yeah (laughs) so this beautiful book Bailey takes a stand and Mm. it's gorgeous and we were talking about um before the cover is just so beautiful it's just a gorgeous looking cover and it's such a nice I'm a bit of a book nerd obviously and I just love the how to hold this book like it's, it feels nice you know and books just feel nice this yeah. feels nice and it's beautiful can you give us an elevator pitch as to uh what this book is about so bailey finch is 11 years old she lives with her dad um and there is a in sort of an outer suburb of melbourne and there's a creek at the bottom of her in her street and when i'm i'm gonna give i'm gonna be in a big elevator yeah and, long, um, tall building that's yeah. fine so basically, um, Bailey um, lives with her dad and he is grieving because her mum passed away a year earlier and her mum brought home her dog, Sheba, when Sheba was an eight-week-old puppy. And since then, her mum has passed away and Sheba has become Bailey's constant companion and uh, not just best friend, but, I mean, she really relies on Sheba um, because her friends fell away, um, her father is, um, he's grieving. So he's sort of neglecting her, but he just, it's not that, so, so she perceives that as um, she feels inadequate, she feels profoundly inadequate. And so she, um, when the story starts, um, Bailey is, you know, trying to, like she tries to bake a cake that will impress him and it fails or she tries to, she researches jokes and tries to get him to, to laugh but it's kind of forced um, and she, like, she just does all these things to try and get his attention but more, more than anything she wants him to come back down to the creek that where she used to spend all this time with her mum and her dog and dad for 
mum died, but he won't come down to the creek. Um, so kind of that's when it starts, that's kind of the background, and I had to do that work to really set it up um, so that the relationship between Bailey and her dog was really um, pivotal to Bailey's life because it was inspired by my own daughter and her dog, and I knew the kind of bond that they had and how how intense that was, and I imagined... Um, if something happened, if something bad happened to her dog, but imagine if it happened to um, a, a dog, uh, went to a kid who was already having a really hard time and um, was really already like normally a sort of a courageous um, by nature, but who had, whose self-esteem had taken a beating and, and how would um, she respond to that? So when in this, in this elevator, what happened is... is um, uh, swallows something sharp while swimming in the creek and falls critically ill. And Bailey always loved the creek and she didn't know there was anything wrong with the creek, but um, her dog is in the vet hospital and um, after an interview with a vet, I found out all these things that could happen to the dog. So that was really cool. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and um, so Bailey realises that that she can't let Sheba, her dog, back into the creek until she gets rid of all while, while it's polluted. Um, and so she kind of has this afternoon where she gets a wheelie bin from the next to the sports club and wheels it across the oval and down the creek and you know through the bush and like she's picking up rubbish and Sheba's in the hospital and um, and it sort of takes her half a day and um, she you know, wheels it back to the sports club and you know she realizes she's kind of despairing because she's just one kid and how could she actually make a difference? Um, and so she, it's it's this event where of, of um, Sheba getting really sick that is a catalyst for Bailey to then sort of be, go off and be pivoted into this other direction and um, kind of have to find it in herself to be courageous and find a way to, to sort of make change. And it, it impacts her relationship with her father and, he has his own journey and she meets this really interesting cool kid called Israel who's homeschooled and he teaches her about all the um, critters that are, live in the creek, like the macroinvertebrates that are apparently live under the water and don't have backbones and um, the endangered growl, growling grass frog and things that I would never normally know about because it's not my thing. <laughs> it's not at all my thing, but I had to. It was interesting because... Turns out that this book has like a strong environmental activist theme, and that wasn't my plan. And I'm someone who quotes Woody Allen saying, I really love nature, I just don't want any of it on me, which is really uncool. And actually, I do love nature, but it, I'm not great at activism other than being my partner is a wind farm developer, so that's great. Um, but uh, I love the city. Uh, but it wasn't my idea to make it about the environment. But the thing was that Bailey had to, um, she had to do something about the creek. You know, when her dog was harmed by swallowing the grass, uh, the glass, and when she learned about all these other animals that are hurt by, you know, balloons that, or all the, where the pollution comes from and the, the stormwater drainage system and what's happening there. And she, I had to go and follow her across the page and find out about all this stuff. And it turns out she had to have this, like creek cleanup campaign and involve all these other people. And I would never have done that 
but I, you know, it just happened. And so now it's, um, I, I do think it's really great that it um, is a positive story about a kid who takes a stand. And I do think that that is a really important message. And I do, I'm really interested in um, kids and particularly at the moment, uh, anxiety and agency and sort of emotional awareness and sort of those qualities. I was really interested in those qualities in this character. Mm. Now, just from all of you said that, all of what you have said, I have a million questions about all of those things now. Right. So I'm going to have to circle back and traverse a little bit and all that things. The first thing that really interested me, though, was the fact that you said this wasn't initially sort of environmentally, you know, book that had an environmental message. And that's so strong. And so it's interesting that that happens sort of incidentally as you're exploring the character. So I think that's amazing. But what I was thinking about when, you know, you were writing about um, the importance of the environment, it's so lovely coming from a kid's perspective because A, it's their world, but B, they have that beautiful idealism that you want to capture in children that they can fix things you know and i think when we get to be adults it's oh it's too hard or get someone else to do it and we're too busy but i love how kids take action take it into their own hands and go no no i'm going to do something i think we we as adults need a bit more of that absolutely it's so true uh you know i often do author visits with schools and and um you know i work with a lot of kids and especially the younger kids it's sort of they as the older they get they sort of they become cynical i think maybe mm. sort of around yeah, you know, grade six, they start to have a bit, bit, a bit more attitude and a bit more cynicism. But certainly the younger years, um, yeah, they, they'll just do stuff. Like my daughter in grade four, I think it might have been she and a friend um, saved up $500 wow. for Greyhound Rescue by having stalls with like little selling cupcakes for like a dollar. And I was going, make it more, that's not enough. Um, you know, or little potted... Um, little plants in glass jars and selling them for, you know, I don't even know if it was a dollar. And But they saved up all this money for Greyhound Rescue and then they took it there themselves. And, I mean, they, but that's huge. That's and that's huge. Really, I think that that sort of wild enthusiasm and passion that young kids have, if they have agency and if they have a voice, um, you know, that's, that's, that should be, you know, encouraged. And, um, yeah, there is there is so much that kids can do. But... I do think it's pretty interesting times and um, it's an interesting and potentially sort of disempowering environment that kids are growing up in, I don't know. Yeah. Particularly now, but, yes, no, I see your point. But yeah. I love that idealism of kids and I was thinking as adults, you know, we need a bit more of that too. <laughs> I liked that. Yeah. Now, circling back again, because I had so many questions from yeah. what you were saying yeah. from the elevator pitch, the very tall building that we were in, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Um, you said you spoke to a vet, and I love that kind of real-life research. So I want to know about the research, yeah. two things, when you spoke yeah. to the vet about the dog, and mm. also you were saying you found out about all these creatures that were living in creeks, yeah. that you must have had to research those as well. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about the research process for this book. Yeah, well, I mean, I know you're a writer yourself, and you would know that I mean, I've certainly found that, um, you know, the smallest amount of research goes a really long way and just the value of research is quite incredible in terms of the um, the weight it gives to the writer, or the, not the weight, but um, sort of the credibility or yeah. something. But um, it was actually, uh, I have to admit, it was my editor, Jane Pearson, who said, 
because I was making all this stuff up about what was going to happen to the dog and that um, <laughs> I just made it up. I kind of went, oh, you know, it could swallow something sharp and then it would get sick and it would have internal bleeding. And that was, does happen to be true, but I really didn't have my back straight. And Jane said, can you talk to a vet? And so I, I found a vet um, and and she was fantastic. And But I said to her, look, I really need, it's really important for the plot of the story that the dog stays pretty sick gets a bit better and then gets sick again, gets better for a really long time mm-hmm. or for, you know, a, a sustained period um, for the for the narrative tension to hold. And so so she helped me with the kind of the gritty kind of details of what could happen. And I say, said it needs to involve the dog getting sick from swallowing something from the creek, you know. And um, so I had to learn and it was like it was Quite, yeah, it was really amazing the value of that. I mean, it's sort of obvious in hindsight that I should have done it. And, and I ended up writing too much of her information into the story and, and the editor ended up going, yeah, Ingrid, we've got that. Okay, you can take it. <laughs> so, and it's interesting, that thing of, you know, I really, I did put quite a lot of that information into it and then the editor taking out stuff because you only need to infer or to, to put in a small amount to show that there is some um some truth to it or some, some reality so for example um you know the vet sees has a look and at, as soon as um bailey brings sheba in when she's really sick um the vet says uh, looks up at her gums and says oh her gums are pale she could have internal bleeding you know and just that little fact which i would never have known and also there's a smudge of blood coming out of her nose and that's also um internal bleeding so just little facts like that that I would not know and that probably most readers would not know um that gives it that's really that's kind of gives it takes you into the world a bit more I guess yeah absolutely no it does yeah yeah so it's like you need this massive amount of research but you need to know it but in the book and it needs to be a little bit but it's interesting you need to know because you don't know what exactly you're going to need you know depending on the story yeah 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 Hmm, it's interesting. I like that. Yeah. What about the little creatures in the creek? How did you figure so, out those? I look, I just had just Google, but you know, <laughs> like, uh, and and the friends of it's so we was based on the Mary because we were living near the Mary, and it's it, um, friends of the Mary Creek. You know, there's heaps of information there, and um, yeah, just looking it up, and there's there's so much there, um, and I ended up those creatures and all of that became really important in the story because it was, Israel was so passionate about it and he sort of this he's this quiet kid who carries an underwater camera that dangles from an orange stripper on his on his wrist and um he just kind of he's homeschooled but basically that means that he's left to fend for himself and um he pretty much you know Bailey calls him creek boy um but it's really because of their they make this connection that um their shared passion for the creek and for the critters that live in the creek that he knows all about, um, that they end up both becoming empowered and finding the courage and the self-belief um, to take a stand. Um, so it's um, that unexpected friendship um, mm. really important. Um, yeah, Israel's, I love their you know, friendship, though. I love their friendship. And I really like, you know, boy and girl coming together and finding that sort of commonality and being able to sort of feel like they're going to change the world. Like, it's a really sweet story. And I, I like those kind of wholesome little friendships in these books for this age group. So how did you sort of develop the characters and then bring them together as friends? Because it was a pretty special friendship. Yeah, um, I think, well, Bailey 
when she didn't have because she was quite dependent on Sheba, her dog, like she'd climb trees. So after school, she'd go and climb trees by the creek and throw the stick to Sheba and, you know, play with Sheba because um, her school friends fell away to some extent when her mother got became increasingly ill. So there's a whole backstory that I knew that didn't go into the book, obviously. But, you know, it was when her mother became sick, she barely withdrew and found it harder and harder to tell her friends that, her mother could, you know, was too weak to bring a glass of water to her lips or that her father, she had to sort of wave her arms in the air to let her dad know that she was home or that, you know, he was, you know, dinner often just didn't happen. You know, she just didn't want to say those things. And so she kind of found it easier to withdraw and which wasn't really her true nature. But um, so she became uh, a bit isolated, but it really, so when, when she met, Israel by chance actually she fell into the creek I don't want to do any spoilers and that's no, no spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get um, some rubbish out of at a tree branch and anyway she falls into the creek that happens okay I've said it um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, he sees this happen which she just dies of her own death because who wants anyone to see that happen and he she can't get out because she's pretty much waterlogged. And every time she puts a foot against the muddy bank, it slips and she just can't get out. And so that's really not good when you're 11 and you're by yourself. And then another kid who's 12 sees you, that's a really tough. Like she just, she could feel the wet hair sticking to her face. <laughs> and, you know, she could just, everything was wet and he pulled her out. And then he was telling her about, you know, the critters in the creek and that they're under the water and she was like wanting to spit these macroinvertebrates out of her mouth. Um, and I don't know your question was, but look, I guess I sort of, it was, I think that um, connections with other people are just central to the, the paths that our lives take. And I think that for me anyway, um, that, that, that just had to happen or it just happened, I guess, that, that she met Israel and through that she sort of learned about herself and then she was able to through through the um, campaign that they started up her father also became involved and I guess it was just important that um, she formed a connection with someone who she could comfortably be herself at that time in her life who was sort of a non-threatening person but who was interested genuinely interested in her and had a shared passion. Mm, I love that. And it's really interesting, the dynamic between the father and child. And in this case, it's almost reversed a little bit because the father's so lost in his grief and the child, you know, is taking positive action and, you know, being the one to sort of take a stand. So it's a really interesting dynamic because it, the book does focus on grief. And obviously there's lots of hope and lots of great things in the book, but you know, there is an element of, um, you know, that really deep grief and how children and how people and adults deal with it. So that's an interesting thing to explore in the book too. Yeah, it was interesting because I didn't want to, um, I didn't, I, I did want Bailey to be struggling with, you know, when I was thinking early on about what is, what, how do I, how would I articulate and understand her big challenge, you know, her personal real challenge, you know, not just what she thinks she wants and needs, but what she, you know, actually wants and needs. And I, um, I didn't really want to write um, a father who is experiencing depression because mm -hmm. not something I have direct experience with and I'm, that's not to say I, that I necessarily object to that but I did want um I you know I, I do have experience of grief and um uh I 
it was a way of, um, yeah, I guess it was, I can't remember what your question was, but look, I just found that was really interesting that it was on that sort of note of um, emotional intelligence and, and value sort of misunderstanding what was going on. So um, in the start of the, in the first chapter, her neighbour who knew um, Bailey's mum really well says, grief is just grief. You can't fix it. And um, that's kind of stating, stating at the start what, what Bailey has to learn, you know, by the end of, of the book. And that's looped back around to that at the very end when, you know, Israel kind of says, oh, you know, or, or Bailey says to his, um, to Israel, Dad's just you know he's he's still watching telly at midday in his pajamas, and um, Bailey says he's just sad. You know, grief is just grief. You can't fix it, and um, or something like that. And um, she has learnt by then that he he didn't. He just needed to learn to back herself. It wasn't that um, he didn't love her. He he still loved her, and it wasn't. And it wasn't even the question that you know she. In, in her heart of hearts, she knew that he loved her, but she couldn't understand or she couldn't fathom that he seemed to be neglecting her and it made her feel like a failure or inadequate um, at a time where she really needed to be heard. Mm. Yes. And grief is a tricky thing because, like you said, you know, you just said grief is what it is, you know, and you can't do anything about it. You can't fix it. You can't remove it. You kind of have to sit in it, don't you, until time makes it a little easier you know that's a hard thing about grief isn't it there's no no fix for that um yes um ah lockdown got a visitor and leaving <laughs> um yeah so yeah look grief is you know such a, a fickle beast um and um, and an individual thing as well, you know, like one person's grief is going to be completely different to another person's experience of grief and you can't rush it, you can't rush through it, you can't force it, you can't get rid of it, like it's just there until it isn't. Yeah. That's what's really hard about it, I think. And also it's just different at different times for you yeah. as well and you can't explain it and I guess in a way it, it, it can be a pretty lonely thing to live with but also, I know for me, um, I have found that um, talking about the loss has, even though I haven't wanted to because it's never fun, especially, it, you know, it doesn't feel good to get through the sad part that really had hard, painful stuff, but to remember um, the lost ones yeah. the, um, yeah. without wanting to kind of go into too much then you need to, for me, I've found that you have to go through the really painful layer to then remember with joy the person who's gone. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't want to forget the person because it's an interesting balance of not wanting to speak about them at first all the time because it is yeah. painful and it's causing pain on other people, but then you should speak about them and you should remember them, you know, so there's really that tricky balance because I remember, you know, in my my auntie passed away, you know, my mum was very close to her and I wanted to mm. talk about her, but it would make us both sad when we did. So we sort of avoided the topic for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, some time passed and, you know, we thought, you know what, we really need to be start starting to talk about her again, you know, but it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And it's that tricky balance. It is tricky, but I think um, that uh, avoiding talking about it, like in my experience, especially in those, uh, in the early years, it's kind of a road to madness for me. I, I found that it really wasn't healthy. And um, so, in fact, look, I, might, I might as well you know, confess. So my, my first book, actually, this is 
this is my first sister and I for a small family. That was a memoir that I wrote um, after I had spent, my partner and I spent um, six months with two baby boys who were premature. Um, <laughs> and um, they both passed away. Um, and so I guess writing that book, um, while it's not, um, all really sad and awful. It has got humour and um, a whole lot of a lot of story in it. Um, that was my way of, and you know, it's, it's almost a cliche doing that, but it certainly was the only way I could put one foot in front of the other um, after that experience. But yeah, look, since then, it just remains difficult for me. I I, I find, and I, I feel there are some qualities about grief that I feel kind of. Um, Staunch about when people make claims about how it should be, or I don't know. I get yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't. And you know, thank you for sharing that story. That's you know, very personal story for you to share. But you know, when we're talking about grief, it's real, isn't it? And you can't get rid of it. And you know, it was. It's funny when my auntie did pass away. People kept saying it's okay. Like in time, you'll get over it. And Mum and I just both looked at each other and went, "We don't want to get over this. This is. We're not aiming to get over it." You know, obviously it's better when the pain is a bit less, but we're not thinking we're going to get over this. This is going to be something that stays with us forever and that's okay because we miss her. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, to me, I mean, as long as you're alive and they're with you, you know, um, for want of a better term, you can't leave that, you know, that, that grief is going to be with you as much as they're with you. And if you, if you, were, to, if you were to part with sort of the whole feeling the grief then you're going to be partying with them and you can't well I, I don't want to do that at all and and I do find I guess maybe in some ways having that having well certainly having loved those babies for me it's not I don't have any regret um for having had that experience that because of the richness of that experience then the joy I mean it was incredible they were my firstborn and it was just I mean, I, it was just all love for me. It was incredible and I, it was amazing. And I did, they spent their lives in hospital and I was there with them and um, that's just the path that things took and there were, it, was, it was tough and it was good and, you know, it was a lot of things. It's always a conscious choice, um, you know. It's, I've written the book, it's public. So, you know. yeah, yeah. Serenade for a Small Family is the name of the book and all those listeners can go and read us all about it <laughs> absolutely no thank you for sharing that it's hard but like you said when you talk about grief and you know when you talk about those, pe those people that you have lost it's, it's sort of bringing them back a little bit you know as best as you can that's the only way we can bring them back is by remembering and talking about them again and I, I, I'm paraphrasing here but you know I read this quote that said you can't have love without pain you know so you have to experience pain if you're going to yeah. experience love otherwise you can't experience either and you're not going to give up love are you so yeah, exactly you know, that that comes with it unfortunately yeah but. and i think i'm um, fearing grief maybe that's a cultural thing i think yes definitely grief. we're terrible think, at dealing yeah, with grief, we're aren't grief. We? like the fact yeah. that we're you know even that we're sort of tentative about going in like even that the fact that i didn't want to that i was kind of going oh you know i had to make a conscious decision to kind mm. of talk about it but yeah we fear grief whereas I think the healthy thing is would be to go towards grief and accept it because yes. what you find in my experience what I found is I would go towards it and I think back to those early months and years when I would go towards it and it was like a, and like it was so painful and profoundly painful and dark and um but that but it would pass and mm -hmm. then I could like 
have really joyful memories and um, feel that love and feel safe feeling that love without the pain because not without the pain like it's that they, they are they are like you say they are sort of they're bound up together and um, that's, it is really it's it's a shame it's a great shame and a great pity that we culturally we're so weird about we are we're so weird about pain as well I was having this conversation today about not that I love pain like I'd rather not have it obviously but I don't mind sitting in discomfort as long as it's not too bad and as long as I know it's for a short period of time because I think that you grow the most I know in my life I've grown the most when I've sat in those really uncomfortable moments or those feelings of pain that's when you grow and you reflect and you can almost become hopefully like a better person you know so I think even though we don't enjoy it you can take something a little bit positive out of it I'm thinking absolutely I agree I really agree I've um actually lived with a chronic chronic sort of neck and jaw pain for many years and it's an invisible pain and I've only it was reading um Harley Finlay's book um growing up disabled in Australia was really helpful for me um and I kind of messaged her and said no you know this has been really I'm coming out you know <laughs> um, as someone who lives with with pain but um just on that note of what you were saying about it um before it's been helpful for me to use it um as a way of bringing me back to myself and reminding myself of my humanity and my limitations and that that's okay and that you know I don't have to be superwoman I don't have to you know I'm human and we're here temporarily for a really short time um, and pain is just pain, you know, and I don't mean that to diminish anyone's experience of pain but and, and mine is often, you know, really severe, um, but it can be useful and I guess um, after all these years of looking for a cure, I do find that um, going towards the pain and accepting that I have pain and just, Fitting with it, and I guess it's kind of mindfulness really um, is the best treatment. Yeah, I agree. I use that with my anxiety. I used to always run from it and fear it and pretend it didn't exist, and obviously that doesn't doesn't work at all. Hot tip. And so leaning into it and saying it's here, I'll be okay. I'll work through it, even if I don't feel okay right now. I know I've done this before, and so really leaning into it almost makes you a tiny bit less afraid. Absolutely. I'm the same, you know, with anxiety and with stress and pressure. And I just, if I find, if I just go towards it, let myself feel it, notice it, notice it, notice where it is in my body, just go, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, there's that, you know, that's very familiar and that's anxiety or that's stress or that's pressure. Hello, you, you know. You again. You again, you little (laughs) shit, you little no, big fucking ass. Hello. You know, you're not going anywhere. We meet again, my frenemy. I've been meditating. I've been doing everything. I exercise. I I eat the right food. And And you you are. Exactly. I I feel you. I feel you. It's like, what could I have done? And um, what I... I gave up sugar for a while. You're still here. That's it. Where's the chocolate? But it's funny because people used to ask me a lot, what was your trigger? you know, when I'd have a quite a bad anxiety you know, moment or an anxiety attack. And sometimes I just had to accept the fact that there was no trigger because I, I was always looking for the trigger. If I just could get rid of the trigger or just know the trigger, I could not have an anxiety attack. But sometimes you just have to accept there's no trigger. It's just your body reacting, your brain reacting to yeah. all sorts of different things. And so I think, you know, I've done a lot of 
you know, what else do you do in lockdown except reflecting and leaning in? So I've done a lot mm. of leaning into that going, okay, there's not mm. always a reason. That's okay. And that's okay mm. too. You know, you just have to sort of accept it and roll with it. So that's interesting. This conversation's yeah. taken quite a tangent. It really it? Has. I love it. It really has. I love it too. What the heck? <laughs> and and it's and look, that just the thing of that leaning in and, and anxiety and, and how things are in lockdown. And I know people are having these conversations, but um it is just such an interesting sort of time, and I think part of what the challenge can be is that when it's when we can in our non-lockdown lives make plans and believe that oh, on Friday night I'm doing that, and that's where when I'll have fun, and on, on Saturday you know I'll I'll have planned that holiday, and we think we're in, we're in control of our lives, and of course we're not really. I mean we sort of we sort of are logistically, but it's the it's that idea of being in control that seems to give us something to hold on to. And when we suddenly don't have something to hold on to, we feel so lost. Mm. But I think yeah, no, I think the greatest the greatest lesson I've learnt in lockdown, you know, if anything good has come about lockdown, is really that understanding that you are not in control because I'm a bit of a known to be a control freak right but when you realize there's very little you can control and you actually accept that it's actually quite liberating and free and you think well in that case I'm just going to try and be present and I'm just going to try and live each day because I can't control it it's interesting so interesting it's so interesting because you go that is just the truth and you know that but then you have to reconcile that with I don't know about you but for me I have to reconcile that with my ambitions yes and I, you know, so there's part of me that goes, well, you've got to keep, you know, you've got to keep running, keep working hard and, you know, you just keep trying. And then there's other other part going, but that's kind of dumb because <laughs> you could just be here you, because you might as well because actually that other stuff doesn't matter as much as you think. Mm, mm. And look, the things you have control over, you know, like you're not going to get a book published, you don't write it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you should probably be do that stuff. But, you know, the bigger picture stuff, you know, the lockdowns, the you know, other things that you can't control, the, the hard things that have happened in our lives, you know, you can't control those. And not that they're going to get any easier, but I think, you know, that mindset of, you know, really lots of things are beyond my control and there's nothing I can do about it. So let's stop thinking about it. I think that's been, yeah. that's, I'm a working pro, I'm still working on that. But I think I like the idea of it. I think you're getting close. Yeah. I think you are. But, but also um, that thing of with writing, um, and values so it for me it's it's really well and, and I guess this is an ongoing challenge but it's just always bringing me back to why do I write and just oh that was my next out. question Ingrid so answer <laughs> it yeah why do you write <laughs> oh, well just on, on that note of kind of it's you know the, the pull between you know, publication and book sales and publicity it's, uh, versus you know um but just remembering why you write so I guess what I always come back to is it's it's so much it's so helpful for me to remember why I write and that is for the for the challenge and pleasure of moving words around and and creating something new and just playing with words and seeing what I can do and exploring how I can you know change the sentences and make them sing or make them you know or, or you know just make it work make it a trajectory keep going in a way that keeps you know keeps the tension or you know just just getting just exploring exploring what what I can create really and it sounds corny and no I love it I love it I I find that I have to just come back to that otherwise it's very easy to 
Um, you could get, you know, um, there's always so many brilliant books coming out and, you yeah. know, there's brilliant authors and you, you could feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. And, and you know, it's, it's never going to be enough. It never, ever will be. You can win the Booker Prize. You can win you know, every goddamn prize and there's going to be another prize someone else is going to win or there's going to be the next year. Or, so it's never actually enough. And, um, yeah, there you go. You no, go. it's interesting, though. It's, we've had this very, very deep conversation and I think, um, you know, it's good. It's great. I love it. I love the tangent we went on. I really enjoyed that. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, just about the book and all of a sudden we just went with it. So that's what I love about these conversations. That's my favourite <laughs> thing about them. So thank you. And I've loved talking to you about this beautiful book and I really enjoyed so many things about this book, the characters and how it went into that, you know, very environmental message but not in a didactic way, obviously, and the cover and the way it feels. It's just such a beautiful book. So Thank you, Danny. I loved speaking to you about it and I really loved, you know, the way you were able to share your vulnerability. I'm all about that lately. It's been sort of a, a growing um, reflective quality that I've tried to bring into my life and it's just sort of slipped into the podcast about, about being vulnerable and being okay with that so I really appreciate you doing that yourself thank you yeah I didn't plan on I hope I haven't you know well I'm not going to say I hope I haven't overshared because you know really we're all just people yeah absolutely and I, thank I, you so much for um for, for, for having me and uh for doing such a great job and um yeah Thank you so much. I've loved this chat. So when lockdown's over, I feel like we need to go and do this in real life and have a much longer chat. Imagine where that would go. We've got got places to go. I think we do. We've got a lot of places to go. Why did we only schedule half an hour? I I know. Three. (laughs) Three hours. Yeah. Yeah, really, we just touched. We just began. We, we were just on that. We were just tapping the at the very outside. <laughs> so, you know, book in, book in half a day and we'll continue this yeah, conversation. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ingrid. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.